You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. The Timothy Track interns here. We'll be reading from 2 Timothy 1, verses 13 to 18. If you don't have a Bible with us today, feel free to grab one from the chair pocket right in front of you. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, 13 to 18. Let's hear from the living word of the Lord this morning. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched earnestly for me and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is the word of the Lord, and it is true. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for this day. We're thankful for a time to gather here and worship and song and hearing your word and praying for your word and hearing your word preached. We pray for open hearts and an open mind, God, to really understand everything your spirit wants to tell us today. Pray that you would use Pastor Jeremy, God, use him mightily, let him speak your truth, not just his thoughts and opinions, but what the word actually says, God. We pray you give him the grace to do that. We do also pray, God, that we would understand today how to guard the good doctrine that is entrusted to us, Father. We pray to see the importance, how vital the scriptures are, how important the salvation is, God. And we pray that we walk out of here change people. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. And I love sports and different types of games, uh, the Olympics. I understand they're coming this next year, and uh, at least for my little family, that's one of the times where we all of a sudden quit counting screen time, and we just park it in front of the TV together and get to cheer for Team USA as we want to see them go for the gold. And I don't know about you, but there's probably lots of reasons why games and sports and Olympics can be so fun, uh, but, but one of them that might be overlooked is how clear and simple the games and the rules in the Olympics are. I mean, think about it for a moment. One of the reasons why popular athletics seems to have so many people rally to it is nobody's debating on the rules or the score. Oh, sure, people get mad at the refs because they don't think they're following the rules, but it seems like everybody knows the rules and this is how you make points. And I think that there are times when we don't appreciate how wonderful that is to be able to agree on the game, the rules, the score, and how to win. I mean, because think about it when it's not the case. Nobody likes it when you change rules in the middle of a game. I mean, as kids, did you ever play games with your friends and make up games? And you're playing those games, and halfway through the game, you're losing. So uh, it's your game, so you change the, the rules. 
and uh, you change the rules and now all of a sudden you're winning and, and what does your friend do if you do that too much? They quit. This is awful. I don't want to play a game when the rules change and all of a sudden I'm losing when I thought I was winning. I used to keep a second Monopoly game in my closet and I'd pull out these 500s and I just, no matter what happened on the board, I could just keep on like, like, where are you keeping? I saved it from earlier in the game. And tell you what, it occurs to me that one of the reasons I think Christianity can seem so complex, one of the reasons that Christians and churches can be so confused is that depending on who you ask, nobody actually agrees on the game. What I mean is, if we went and surveyed some Christians just in the Kansas City metro, okay? We're not even going to go farther than our metro. And you said, how do you play Christianity? We would get a million different answers. Or, or if you said, uh, what are the rules for Christianity? Or if you asked, who's winning? Who's winning at Christianity? There are like a thousand different opinions. It's utterly complicated. Nobody actually understands what the goals are, what the rules are, who's winning. I mean, at Mill Creek, here for a minute, or just you, are you winning at the game of Christianity? Uh, are we, Mill Creek? Sometimes people find out I'm a pastor, and you want to know what the first thing they ask me is? How many people? How many people? Well, I don't know. Is that how we win around here? <laughs> See, tons of Christians, tons of churches, we have made Christianity confusing, complex, not because it actually is, but because we don't have the clarity of even simple sports, like games in the Olympics. And, and it has me wondering, if Paul were here at Mill Creek, if Paul were to speak to us about Christianity, what would he say our goals are? What are our goals? What are the rules? And what does winning look like? While Paul doesn't use this language specifically in our passage this morning, he is going to offer clarity to Timothy as well as any of us by extension who might be feeling confused. Especially if, like Timothy, you're feeling like you're fighting this fight somewhat alone. You're running your race, and you're winded, and you're thinking, am I even doing this the right way? What is our goal? How do we play? Who's winning? Paul's going to give us those answers, and let me give you a hint. It may not be what you expect. In fact, in the end, the surprise is that winning for Christians is a lot different than the Olympics. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 13 to 18. This sermon will have three moves. What's our goal? How do we play? Who's winning? That's the map of our sermon. If you love for you to be able to take notes and lean in with us, we're going to jump into the first movement. What's our goal? Let's Look here in the text. Look there at the beginning of verse 13. I really do want you to have a Bible out so you can see where Paul's giving us these answers. Look how he starts the section. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words you, are, you have heard from me. 
Follow the pattern of the sound words you've heard from me. Now, right off the bat in this passage, Paul is coming out with an imperative. Remember from grammar class, imperative is a command. It's not the very first command in this letter. The first one is in verse 8, if you want to scan up. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. But here in verse 13 is the imperative, the command. Here's what I want you to do, Timothy. Here's your goal. Follow my pattern. Follow my pattern. All right, that's easy enough. If you're taking notes, you could write that down. Follow my pattern. That's straight out of the Bible. Paul is like a teacher showing a kid, here is the dotted line you are to cut on so to speak. There is a pattern, Timothy. Cut that pattern that I have given you. Like a coach showing a player what they must do to run the play, Paul saying, Timothy, follow my pattern, man. Do what I've taught you. See, Mill Creek, understand, Paul did have a pattern, okay? Paul wasn't just waking up going, I don't know, I'm just going to throw some stuff in the Letter, hope it kind of sticks. wonder which part of this Jesus stuff I ought to get over to Timothy right now. No, Paul had a pattern. He had a framework, and he is imparting this framework to Timothy. He already has as he's gone on these missionary journeys saying, look, this is how you do this. And now he's calling Timothy as Timothy is lonely and confused, having been in the pastorate for a couple years, having received the first letter from Timothy, and excuse me, have, Timothy having received that first letter from Paul. Paul, uh, Timothy has uh, followed through with what Paul told him to do in the first letter. He's gone after these false teachers, and they have fought back. And Timothy then is, as it were, in the corner of a boxing ring between rounds. He's breathing heavy. He's bleeding. He's battered. And he's wondering, why does it feel like I'm losing? And why am I all alone? And his corner man, Paul, is in Rome, is in jail. And for Paul, it's not if he's going to die, it's when he's going to die. And that's why Paul has written this letter, so that Timothy can know, I'm still in your corner spiritually, and here's what you do. You follow my pattern. That's the first command from 13.8. Look at 14b. I'm going to skip a bit. We will come back. Look at the second command, because Paul is going to say the same thing in a different way. In 14b, it says this, guard the good deposit. Guard the good deposit. Follow my pattern. Guard the good deposit. Timothy, you have been given gospel gold. Now guard it. Guard it. Church, have you heard about Bitcoin? Cryptocurrency? I mean, if, if somebody would have said 10 years ago to me that there's this thing called digital gold and they keep it in a digital wallet, I would have thought, you're digital stupid. That's what that is. Oh, it's real. People take their real money and they put it in digital gold that's kept in a digital wallet. And some folks choose to deposit huge amounts of money into a digital wallet, and they are lovingly called whales. Bitcoin whale. When I was a kid and you're at the pool, you do not want to be called a whale. <laughs> Nowadays, it's good to be called a whale if you're a Bitcoin whale. It means you're loaded. 
Now, I understand, particularly with Bitcoin, you have a very complicated password that only you know to access that digital wallet. No password, no bueno, because Bitcoin does not have a customer service rep in case you misplaced it to help you reset your password. What is the name of your, what's your mother's maiden name? That'll get you a Bitcoin password. That's not, they don't have that. You lose your password, that money is gone. I mean, it's not gone, it's still out there. You're just not going to get it. Business Insider reported a guy had $220 million in Bitcoin. And he lost his password. Understand, it was on some hard drive that he had thrown out. The way I understand it, he was at a dump day after day hoping to come across that hard drive. This article explained how he was kicking himself and trying to come to terms with his massive loss. He didn't guard his deposit very well. But pretend, church, later on today you got a call from some uncle that you didn't think was worth much. Really wasn't worth much. It's just that 10 years ago he decided to invest in a lot of Bitcoin. And let's say today that uncle who passed left you his Bitcoin deposit. Tell me, if you heard that that password was coming in the mail, what would you do to ensure that that password was kept safe? To what ends would you go, not only to get that letter from the mailbox before somebody comes and gets it out of there without your permission, and then how careful would you be to make sure that that password is kept in a place where you're not going to lose it? I don't know what you might go through if you had $220 million worth of Bitcoin coming in some password and snail mail. But whatever it is, is nothing is this kind of safeguard that Paul wants for Timothy to take when it comes to the gospel deposit. See, here's the thing. The gospel deposit that you and I have had access to, this message that Paul told Timothy, Timothy told faithful men, faithful men told others, and, and generation after generation of generation, Christ's death for sins, Christ's second coming, Christ's resurrection, the, the opportunity to have salvation in Christ, that deposit is worth far more than any Bitcoin whale. Thousand years from now, Bitcoin whales would have given anything to trade their password for the gospel deposit you and I have been given. We have this possessions, and we have this possession, if you're in Christ, we ought to guard this deposit well. Here then, the answer to our first question after we've seen these two positive commands. What is our goal? Paul's imperatives point us to the answer. It's stay faithful. Stay faithful, and I'd love for you to write that down. Because this really simplifies what can be way too complex for some Christians and some churches. What is our goal? Church, our goal is to stay faithful. Stay faithful. Follow the pattern. Guard the deposit. Okay, pastor. All right. Thanks for getting excited about all that. 
but how do I actually do that? How do I actually stay faithful? Well, yes, we could probably take the rest of this sermon and I could walk you through 77 different ways that we can try to prioritize faithfulness from God's word, but instead of derailing the whole sermon, let me just give you one that I think may be one of these crucial habits that if you just plugged this one thing in, it might find itself taking care of lots in your life. Whether you're here and you're just learning about the gospel or whether you've been a Christian for years. Maybe you grew up going to church ever since you can remember and, and the Christian faith has just been part of your culture. Either way, whether you're starting out or whether you've been doing it your whole life, one of the most important habits you could ever take on is reading your Bible. Just reading your Bible. Here's the way I get there. So many of us, we think to ourselves, yeah, man, I'm going to stay faithful. And then somebody goes, well, how do you do that? And they go, well, I don't know. It'd be a little bit like going for a cross-country run, having a pretty good ability to run, and having no clue where the finish line is. Let me say it like this. Good luck staying faithful if you have no idea how to do that. And this is where you learn to do that. See, see, my heart is that you would not show up on a Sunday and think to yourself, well, I guess if pastor's going to tell me something, it must be true. Rather, I'd rather you come in here, engage your brains like the Bereans of Acts 17, verses 10 and 11, and you would continue to consider, is the gospel that pastor says Paul is preaching, is that actually what the text says? And you would be the kind of person who's not just taking my word for it, but you could look and see for yourself, oh, there's the pattern. Oh, that's the deposit I need to guard. Now, I know if I say something about reading your Bible, some people can get, have a very visceral reaction. Some people, they hear, read your Bible, and they're like, finally, somebody's telling us something to do. And the problem you may have is you're quite legalistic about reading your Bible. And when you don't read your Bible, you're afraid you're going to get a flat tire, and, a, and then your car's going to break down, and that will be God judging you in the moment because you did not read your Bible. And, and, and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, I wish we just had more people reading the Bible. And that's sort of your response. And of course, we need to say, if God really did judge you for what you deserve, you would not just be getting a flat tire. Having settled it then, I hope, that of course the reason we read our Bible is not, is not because God's up there like, I gave you chores to do this morning, young man, and you haven't done them yet, so bad stuff. That's not the way the gospel works. We, we, we don't read our Bible for that reason. But, but I know that some of you also, you have the opposite reaction. You think to yourself, well, I'm not going to read my Bible because I don't have to. And of course you don't have to. Of course you're not saved because you read your Bible. And, and of course you're saved because of a promise that God made to you in Christ and you've believed in that promise. And yet, reading the Bible is one of the best things you could do. And, and just consider if you took that attitude to a marriage and you said, I do not have to relate to you, spouse, because you promised me that you would be married to me, not because of what I do, but just because you promised me. Well, good luck having a very good relationship with your spouse if that's your attitude for marriage. What I'm trying to say is, when it comes to God's word, there's lots of reasons why we may go and 
take it to a too much of an extreme, thinking that we read our Bible because we're saved or I never have to read my Bible. What I'm trying to encourage you to do is, as the new year is coming and you think about some resolutions, there are few habits that could be more powerful and foundational for you than just reading your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible reading plan, join ours. We give one out. I just can think a few things better than more Mill Creekers reading more of their Bible. And that's how you're going to know how to stay faithful. This is one of the best ways to know what faithfulness is. You need to understand what faithfulness is from God's word. We come here on Sundays, we try to preach it. We have groups where we're trying to apply it. We have different ways of knowing God's word. I want you to know it. Faithfulness is our goal. That is how, that is what Paul wants for Timothy. With that in mind, let's move to our second question, how then was Timothy to play and how do we play? Now, if you're tracking very closely, you might have noticed that the first question was drawn from verse 13a and 14b. And if you're paying close attention, you might notice here, I'm switching it. Now we're at 13b, 14a. I've got a slide that's gonna show you the part of the verses we're going because what Paul does is he says the same thing twice, but he does it in kind of a, crossways version. So we've already covered this first part, follow the pattern of the sound words you've heard from me. And this then is how Timothy is to play in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Likewise, we already talked about guarding the good deposit and trust to you. Here's how. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. What I, what I want you to notice is how Paul's argument is working. For alongside both commands, Paul's telling Timothy how to do it. See, see, for Paul, it wasn't just enough that Timothy does the right thing. For Paul, you have to do the right thing the right way. Both are important. We have a tendency to think, oh man, the, the first thing is really most important. I got to know what the goal is. But just because you know the goal doesn't mean that the means don't matter. Ends matter, means matter. For Paul. Does that make sense? I want to make sure you're seeing both of those things. Paul wants Timothy doing it the right way. And here's why this matters for us, Mill Creek. We can be the kind of church that just prioritizes all the gospel details. We can be the kind of people who, who we say, we, we, we know how to cut the pattern that, that Paul has called us to cut. We, we cut it perfectly. We, we have all the passwords for our gospel Bitcoin deposit. It's 26 decimals and we know where the capital letters are. And what Paul's helping us see is, it is no good to have all of our theological I's dotted and T's crossed if we do it the wrong way. It's like if we played basketball and we said, I know that points happen when the ball goes through the hoop. Now watch this. I'm going to put the ball through the hoop so many times I'm going to win the game. But if you break the rules, it doesn't count. There is a way to play that Paul wants us to get, and it's here in the text, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's how. It's by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. I love the way Ray Ortland makes this point. Faithfulness to the gospel, by the way, gospel there is theological shorthand for this pattern, for this deposit. 
Faithfulness to the gospel requires more than doctrinal purity in our churches. It also requires relational beauty in our churches. Four, it is possible to sincerely preach true doctrine while at the same time utterly denying the doctrine by an ugly anti-gospel culture. You gotta have the right goal and you gotta do it the right way. Way, I've seen a picture, maybe you've seen it too. It's of a church congregation, perhaps at their Sunday night forum. They're all on the stage, and there's this big banner behind them that says, Jesus saves. And Jesus saves is the right goal. But on the stage, there's all these people, and some are dressed in Ku Klux Klan robes. Racist, white supremacist ideology. And then if you said, does Jesus save? They'd all go, Yes. That's exactly what, this verse would speak exactly to that problem. It makes no difference if you say Jesus saves, if you're not going to get there in the right way. Equal importance is staying faithful and staying faithful the right way. Here's a litmus test. Here's a litmus test for gospel culture. Friends, when somebody disagrees with your theology, when somebody disagrees with your theology that we're we pride ourselves on, or maybe somebody, somebody's a Christian and they disagree with the way churches should do a Sunday morning. I mean, at Mill Creek, we preach the books of the Bible. I mean, that's what real churches do. And they go, ah, we didn't even crack the Bible for four months because that's the way we do church. And, and, and all of a sudden we're feeling kind of some of our blood begin to boil. When somebody confronts us and has a different theology than us, do you get into your bulldozer and begin to let them know how awful they are and you're just, no matter what, you're going to win the debate. So some of us can have a tendency doing, I can do that. Parents, a litmus test for you. When your kid, when, when, when you're trying to parent your kid and they decide not to respect your wonderful parental leadership and instead they decide to kick the wall, they go to their room and stomp, they tell you you're stupid and then they throw their rocking chair. It looks like I'm the only guy who ever has this problem as a parent. <laughs> when they do that, do you, do you decide, I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to let them have it because that, they are disrespecting me. And then you start getting red in the face and you get in their face because we all know that when somebody screams at us red in the face, that is really helpful for us to change our behavior. We love that, all of us, by experience. And so you think, you will cower at my power. That's how I'm going to respond to you, because you're not following my pattern. Or are we going to respond in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus? See, there's a way that you can be right. You might be right technically, but you can be right in the wrong way. And what I'm wanting us to see is that when it comes to Christianity and how we play the game, let us have doctrinal clarity and let us communicate it with the love and grace that is in Christ Jesus. Here is a gospel connection for us to consider. If we really believe the gospel, then Christ's sacrificial love, which led him to the cross, ought to be our attitude as we seek to stay faithful. May we embrace Christ's humility, not pounding the table for justice. This was not what Christ did. 
He sacrificed himself on the cross. Let us have sacrificial love for others. When somebody disagrees with us, we do our best to kindly and gently communicate the truth, but then we're going to let up. We don't have to win. When our kids violate our rules, we say to ourselves, man, I know I violated my parents' rules a lot of times, and God knows I violated his rules too, but I'm going to try to sacrificially love. I'm going to respond in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. When it comes to guarding the good deposit, we do it by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Okay, this is a little different. If we're going to follow the pattern and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, guarding the good deposit is a little different. And this may be the most encouraging part of our entire text because what we find is Paul not telling Timothy, you're going to have to learn some MMA moves to guard the deposit because those bad guys are coming at you. Okay, remember Timothy, in, in my opinion, Timothy, his, his mom and grandma are dropped in chapter one. His tears are dropped in chapter one. I'm imagining if I'm Timothy, I'm like, thanks a lot, Paul, for letting everybody know I'm a mama's boy who cries a lot. <laughs> hey, 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 Timothy, uh, don't be given to fear, but we have power, love, and self-control. Oh, good, thanks for letting everybody know I have an anxiety problem too. <laughs> Paul telling Timothy, How are you going to guard it? It's not by becoming some beefy Navy SEAL alpha male. No, the deposit isn't guarded by Timothy's strength, but by the Holy Spirit dwelling inside him. How encouraging would this be? To be sitting in the corner of a boxing ring between rounds, it doesn't seem like anybody's in your corner. It feels very lonely, and you're thinking, I've spent all I've got. I don't know how I'm going to fight anymore. And for for Paul to say, you've got to guard the deposit, But it's not by your strength. It's by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, man. You're not in the fight by yourself. Friend, here's what I want you to get, because it's true for Timothy, it's true for us. Paul's encouraging Timothy. Your ability to stay faithful will require you to obey, friend. And yet, it is not only up to you. For as passionate as you might be to stay faithful, we are not strong enough on our own to get it done. We need another, and bless the Lord, we have been given his spirit. How was Timothy to stay faithful? How was he to play? Answer, the right way. He was to play the right way. I'd love for you to write that down. Because we don't have to obey on our own strength. We play God's way. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Church, we are to seek faithfulness and then rest in faith. Seek faithfulness and then rest in faith. Endure with Christ and rest in his spirit. Okay, we've seen the goal. We've considered how to play. Here's question three. This is the surprise. Who's winning? I'm going to draw this from verses 15 to 18. Look there at verse 15 where we learn about Phygelus and Hermogenes. Phygelus and Hermogenes, they have turned away from Paul, as have all who are in Asia. You are aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Well, good grief. In Acts 19.10, Paul had said, I have shared the gospel with everyone in Asia. And now this many years later, they've all turned away. 
Now, does that mean like all of Asia when we think about the continent of Asia? Does that mean a little province that's also known as Asia? The sources I consulted couldn't agree either way. Terribly discouraging to Paul. Discouraging and embarrassing. I mean, mighty Paul. And he's going, they've all left. Phygelus and Hermogenes, perhaps the ringleaders who have turned all of these folks against Paul. The implication, of course, is that they have turned on Paul's gospel as well. Remember chapter 1, verse 8? Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. For Paul, the gospel and Paul go hand in hand. You flush one, you flush them both. And, and Paul's, this is Paul's way of saying, hey, Timothy, hey, Timothy, man, don't do me like Phygelus and Hermogenes. Don't do me like that. They've abandoned me. Stay faithful, man. You're my son, Timothy. Stay faithful to the gospel. Will he? Will Timothy? He will if he's cut from the same cloth as Anisiphorus. Look at the positive example, because that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, here's what you do, here's how you play, and then here's how you know if you're winning. The positive example, 16 and 18 is Anisiphorus. Paul particularly calling our attention to the coming day of judgment. Do you notice in verse 16 and 18 where Paul prays, may he grant mercy. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. 18, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. When's that day? Well, that day is Paul talking about, Paul talking about the coming judgment. See, remember last week we talked about how we have been saved from eternity past. And if you tracked Christ, the, 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 Jesus, second person of the Godhead, in eternity past, we were elected. The manger is Christ adding flesh. Mr. Ricky spoke about that in our worship service. He became human, God and man together. Jesus lived the perfect life. He died. He was put in the tomb. Three days later, he was resurrected. Alleluia. 40 days later, he ascended to the right hand of God, which is where he is at now. And the Bible tells us that we are awaiting that day. What's that day? That day is when he will judge the living and the dead. That's 2 Timothy 4.1. And it is coming. And on that day, Paul's praying. I pray Onesimus finds, Onesiphorus finds mercy. What will happen to Timothy? Will Timothy find mercy from the Lord on that day? Well, it depends. Is he going to go down the Phygelus and Hermogenes track or down the Onesiphorus track? That's how you know who's going to win. See, for Paul, consider how wonderful it would have been to have a guy like Onesiphorus who looked from the text. He often refreshed me, and Onesiphorus wasn't ashamed of my chains, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly. He's having the hunt for Paul, and Onesiphorus doesn't quit. He just keeps grinding till he finds Paul, and he's not ashamed. We all know, Paul says, what he did in Ephesus. The question then for Timothy, Timothy, will you be like that guy and not give up on me? Which is what winning is. Which is what winning is. See, here's the surprise. Far too many of us, if we're honest, we're a lot more like Phygelus and Hermogenes than we are like Onesiphorus. Too many of us 
we find ourselves not following the pattern, not guarding the good deposit, not living the way Christ wants us to live. And, and it's heavy if we think about ways that we actually may be guilty and, and may have a tendency to follow that pattern of having the wrong goal as Christians or playing the wrong way or not persevering and enduring. And while judgment is coming for folks who do not repent of their sins, for those who, in, who are truly in Christ and know that they failed, great hope is available to you for your endurance is not only up to you. Instead, what Paul wants Timothy to get and what I want us to get as well is that as we seek to play the right way, we realize the one who wins. And it's not the one who merely endures on their own, but the winner is the one who endures with Christ. Who's winning? The one who endures with Christ. Not the one who ends up looking from the outside as if they've won. Paul's winning, even though he's on death row, all by himself, cold in a dungeon. He's actually winning. And his encouragement to Timothy is, I know you're getting your face beat in by these false teachers, and I know you feel alone and you're bloody and out of breath, but you're winning. See, friends, man, I want us to get this. Because in our age, our tendency is to think that Christian success is we do this Jesus thing and we have an Instagram-worthy life worth following. Our tendency is to think, how do I maximize as much comfort as I can and be sure to read the Bible every morning? We can have this tendency to think that I want to have the perfect kids and I want to have the perfect life on the outside and, and, and I want to have this Jesus thing and also a black American express to get whatever I want. And that, and that true success is trying to get everything that the world tells us is, is successful and Jesus too. That's our tendency as we mix them. Success isn't being celebrated by the world around us and having Jesus. Jesus is not a means to those ends. Jesus is our ends. And look, this isn't just one way here. This is for me too. This, is, this passage, it also comes at me because a pastor like me can have a tendency to think that I'm successful once I write a book and sell a million copies. Pastors like me can find ourselves thinking, as soon as they hire me to go give a plenary session at this gospel conference on 2 Timothy, because I'm so awesome in the way I know how to preach it, that they're going to actually let me, and they're going to pay for my family, and we're going to be on the beach for two weeks, and they're going to pay for it all. Now, finally, I've arrived when they do that. They ain't doing that, by the way. <laughs> The tendency for guys like me can be, well, how many people do go to your church and how big is your budget and how many staff and blah, 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 blah. And what's been freeing to me is success for a pastor isn't about any of those worldly thresholds. Success for a pastor is the same as success for you. It's enduring faithfully with Jesus. Endure faithfully with Jesus. Look. Look, man, oh, spirit, that you would wow your people with Jesus. Jesus, he's the winner. 
actually. We're not the winner. All right? And I got this confused for just too many years, thinking that God's out there like, you better win the race, Jeremy, and you better work harder, and you go, 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 go. We don't win the race well, guys. <laughs> just read the Bible this next year. Love it if you would go ahead and apply that first, first suggestion I gave you. If you read the Bible, none of the characters in the Bible actually are able to perfectly live righteous. Fail, 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 fail. But then there's Jesus. And he's the one who endured faithfully. No one in scripture can run the race on their own. All of us, we are a failure apart from Christ. And so praise God, it's not that you and I are finishing and crossing that line and trying to earn some like gold medal on our own. See, in the Olympics, you get a gold medal and you get put on a pedestal and everybody goes, man, you're awesome. And the rest of your life, people are gonna be impressed with you. None of us are gold medal winners on our own. But Christ has given us his gold medal. So we stand under that banner. He's the one who's going to be able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to us. Friends, will you endure or will you be like Phygelus and Hermogenes? The real question is, do you have Christ? If you don't have Christ, this is the offer for you right now. If you walked in here not knowing him, it is easy to receive his gold medal, as it were. His perfect righteousness can become your perfect righteousness. And you can actually win, like Paul and like Timothy and like every faithful Christian after them, if you would call out to Christ, repent of your sin, trust only in him by faith, and receive that gift, you would be winning for eternity. Spirit, I pray that you might give grace now to all of us in here. For those who don't know you yet, Holy Spirit, would you go and save? For those who do, I pray that you would encourage and give gospel wisdom and faith that they really have won because you won. God, I pray you would accomplish all of this for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.